welcome back to It's an Inside Job podcast. I'm your host, Jason Lim. Now, this podcast is dedicated to helping you to help yourself and others to become more mentally and emotionally resilient so you can be better at bouncing back from life's inevitable setbacks. Now, on It's an Inside Job, we decode the science and stories of resilience into practical advice, skills, and strategies that you can use to impact your life and those around you. Now, with that said, let's slip into the stream. Hey, folks, welcome back to a new week. I'm glad you could join me. Welcome back to It's an Inside Job. I'm your host, Jason Lim. As you may or as you may not know, this month I've dedicated to a number of topics that I want to cluster together. That being culture, psychological safety, diversity, and inclusion. Well, this week, like the last previous weeks, I am privileged to be joined by another expert in this cluster of the field. So today, I am privileged to welcome Kamiya Sajadi, the founder of Big Enough Global. As my guest, Kamiya is a prominent advocate for diversity and inclusion in the workplace, and she's based in Oslo, Norway. In our discussion today, we will delve into the multifaceted challenges organizations face regarding diversity and inclusion. We'll explore the consequences of lacking diversity, the potential pitfalls of overemphasis due to political correctness, and the balance between diversity initiatives and practical implementations in organizations, in companies. Now, our conversation will also address tokenism, strategies for fostering cooperation between the majority and minority groups, the effective ways to engage individuals resistant to change. Now, Kamiya's insights promise to be enlightening for those seeking to navigate these complex and crucial aspects of our modern organizational dynamics. So without further ado, I'm excited to share this content with you, share this conversation. So let's slip into the stream and meet Kamiya Sajadi. Welcome, Kimia. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much. I was wondering if we could kick off our conversations, if you could please maybe introduce yourself and what you focus on, what you do. Sure. So my name is, yeah, as you said, Kimia. I'm 25 years old and I'm an entrepreneur living in Norway. And my business is all about consulting uh, companies in both private and public sector on how to work with diversity and inclusion. So I both uh, help like on the legal aspect and also how to create a strategy, but also like with leadership trainings. And I do a lot of, lot of um, keynotes. Yeah, so that's uh, very short about what I do. And brilliant, because I think, you know, inclusion and diversity the last 24 months, if not longer, have become more and more prominent on people's mental radars. I'm curious, what inspired your commitment to inclusion and diversity? So it started when I was in law school. And then when we visited different companies, many of my fellow multicultural students, they made me aware that there was no one looking like us there. And that was quite shocking for me to reflect on because I had always grown up in like a white neighborhood. So I had never really thought about me being different because I was like, just used to be different. Right. So when uh, my students started to like address this as an issue, I started to become more aware. And then I thought maybe 
maybe there weren't any multicultural people because they don't wanted us. So I, I, I decided that I didn't want to become a lawyer. And then some weeks later, a managing partner in one of those law firms told me that they struggled to get multicultural applicants. And then I understood that many companies, they, they have like good intentions. They want more female leaders, multicultural people, disabled people, and so on. But it kind of stops there. They just have like good intentions, but they don't make them into good actions. And that was kind of how my idea started on creating a business that could help companies to work with diversity and inclusion. And what's really funny and interesting is that I didn't know what diversity and inclusion was before I started to work with it. Mm -hmm. Like first, after some months, I could put like a label on it. When, when you go in and you talk about diversity, is it more ethnicity? Is it more uh, gender? Or do you, do you specialize in one specific area or do you take in the whole, the whole spectrum? So when I first started, I was only working with the multicultural, the aspect of that. And then I started to realize that many of the structures and problems that hindered multicultural people were also struggles and barriers for other minority groups. So let's say bias and discrimination and unfair processes. So that was when I started to focus more on like diversity as a whole and focus on how can you build organizations that are fair and inclusive through uh, for all. But when I work with an organization, I really want them to first like make a risk analysis and understand like where are our biggest issues. And for some that can be like for women, for other that may be for like gay people. And then when we have mapped out where the problems are, then we start to work on the issue kind of. Yeah. So you know, if, 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 you know, if we look at the global stage and a lot of Western nations look towards Scandinavia, such as uh, Sweden, Norway, Denmark, and you can see there is being a huge focus towards gender equality within the workplace. It is far from perfect, but it is, it is almost a, a model of what a lot of Western uh, countries move towards. So, I mean, I was wondering about your aspect to that. And and when it comes to sort of um, so whether it's straight or gay, you know, when I'm in and out of organizations, I see these are not questions that tend to pop up when it comes to gender or someone being gay or being straight. I was wondering, what's your perspective when you, because you mainly focus in Norway, correct? Just to, yeah. 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 Could you speak a little to that, how you see that gender equality has evolved from your perspective? So I've only been like in the, in the business, let's say, for three years. So I'm quite new. So that's mm. why, why I don't have like so much historical background to say like how it has evolved. But I would say that uh, we see that the progression is very good in Norway mm -hmm. and that uh, gender equality has become better and better. And I think a part of that is because of the legislation, but also because we have very good conditions when you take like maternity leave and on the aspects where we have not managed to improve yet, like in the boardrooms, uh, we now have like a historical change in the law that forces uh, companies to have 40% women in the boardroom. So mm -hmm. this, this will affect uh, the society much. And finally, we also have um, 
I was going to say one more uh, thing, but yeah. So th- this is this is the good things, right? And then we still see in Norway that men and equal career-wise, they're like equal until uh, they get children. And when they get children, mm-hmm. then uh, the woman falls behind and that, that gap kind of, uh, kind of like follows the women throughout their career. So we still have like uh, a problem when it comes like, after having kids yeah after having kids that's yeah. like when the trouble starts yeah so when you go in as a consultant when you go in as an advisor and 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 organizations or just simply small or larger organizations that look we want to think about more about diversity and inclusion on maybe different levels other than just sort of uh disability and gender and mm. sexual orientation which are all important but when it comes to ethnicity and such How do you encourage them to build? What are some concrete practices or things that they need to do or would would like to do to encourage more diversity? So I think the first very important thing that's also like talked a lot about in the research is to have like top management to be involved in this work because they are the ones that are going to dedicate dedicate both time and resources to work with it. So as a consultant, I see that in those companies where we have like the top management on board, it's like so comfortable and good working with this topic. But in those organizations where we don't have them on board, it's like such a struggle, such a struggle to manage anything. Mm-hmm. So that's the first thing. And the second thing, um, it's like continue. I don't know what it's like in English, but it, it's like it has to be something that goes over a time. It has to be continuous. So a mistake many organizations do is that Mm -hmm. they have like one workshop or one speech or one leadership training, but that's not enough. It has to like go over over time. Yeah. Yeah. Over time. So that's the second thing. And the third thing, uh, it's really important to have like all leaders on board and they really need to own this work. And with that, I mean that they mm. need to understand like what are the barriers in my team and what are the measures that I can implement. And Harvard has actually done the research on this. And it's very interesting because they see that diversity training doesn't work, but you mm. can make it work if you like don't force the leaders and you let the leaders um, own their own measures. So that, that's why I'm a bit careful to say, like, do this measure or do that measure. Because mm-hmm. let's say in, an, uh, in DNB, which is a bank, and mm-hmm. then you have like this um, small group of five people in a small city, they need other measures than like a group in like... Um, in a big or, city. Yeah, in a big mm-hmm. city that maybe work uh, with uh, doctors and so on. So sure. it's so different, the barriers, yeah. So that's the thing. And then the fourth thing, which I think is really important, is to follow up the work. So you need to have like concrete goals Mm -hmm. and then you need to follow up to see like, did those measures help us achieve those goals or not? Because that's actually the only way you can see like if the measures you're implementing actually have an effect or or not. And, And I think a huge problem when it comes to diversity and inclusion is that we just implement all of these measures without knowing actually what the problem is or if they lead to any effect in our organization. 
And it's interesting what you're saying, because what I hear is that it has to be baked into the strategy. It has to be part of the DNA of the organization or the team. It can't just be one workshop because there are, I agree with you with that Harvard study, but also from experience, when you run a diversity workshop and it's just, you know, the intentions are noble, but unintentionally what it does is create more division. It creates, people don't want to, it becomes politically sensitive. If I say this, then I'm going to be seen as a racist or a sexist or an ist of some sort. But if it's baked into the culture, if it becomes part of the culture, as I understand what you're saying, Camille, is that then it becomes part of the DNA of the thinking of that organization or team. Is that what I understand you're saying? Yeah, exactly. And that culture culture needs to be built over time. And mm. then you have to like take it step by step. So with my uh, clients that I've been working with the longest time, it's like we always need to start like with a small speech and then we will share some articles and then we will go like more intense into it. Because if you're like, if your organization never has heard about diversity and inclusion before and you're like, okay, we're going to do this leadership training, mm. everyone is going to participate, th- then it will be a lot of uh, resistance. Yeah. So as you said, you you take sort of maybe broad strokes and then you get more, you kind of funnel it, you get more and more specific. So exactly. does this help to move it beyond just sort of the flavor of the month or sort of as buzzwords because we can fall into a lot of sort of management speak or corporate speak where the intention is there but it seems very sort of superficial and it doesn't have depth mm. so i know it's it's very specific but sort of if we look at a general template how long does it take sort of a, a mid-sized corporation or organization to get to a certain level of diversity and inclusion i mean is it is it over years is it months i mean from your experience can you speak a little to this um yes yeah, so with uh, my clients that like have had the most impressive results mm-hmm. i see that um maybe like after one or one and a half year they become like really good and what they do is that they have something about diversity and inclusion in all of their leadership um in all of their leadership sessions they have mm-hmm. something about diversity and inclusion so this comes up several times a year and also each time they gather all of the employees they have something about diversity and inclusion and they will have like own seminars or webinars about it as well so they like really put in an effort for both the leaders and the employees and then they will also do as i said the risk analysis and implementing the measures so when they do that, like after a year and year mm-hmm. and a half, they can see like the effects. And also I want to say that with one of the organizations I worked with, they were going to like hire 300 people during the next year. So mm-hmm. obviously we got like a huge effect because we could affect it a lot. Mm-hmm. But with other organizations I work with, maybe they're just going to hire two people, right? So then mm-hmm. they cannot affect the diversity part, but it's always possible to affect the inclusion part. Always the inclusion part. Yeah. And, and, and so if, if, if we are a team of eight and let's say we're a, a mixed culture, a mixed bag, different people, mm. how does a manager, how does he or she encourage that inclusion? I mean, if, if we had to talk about a meeting room 
Can you get a little more nuts and bolts? What needs to be asked? What needs to be addressed? How should someone do this? If they're thinking about this for the first time, they're thinking, okay, there's a lot of words here and it, it, it's well-intentioned. I understand what he and she, what these two are talking about. Mm-hmm. But paint me a picture. What's going on? So what I would do concrete as a leader, I would first have like a session where I mm-hmm. talked about what diversity and inclusion means, why it is important, And I would also talk about typical barriers with examples. So I would talk about, let's say, unconscious bias and discrimination, microaggressions, and then give some examples to that, which I know that my team will like understand and feel in their hearts. And then I would ask my team, okay, so first of all, what is the barriers in our team? I've done this session with so many organizations. What are the barriers in our team? And then you will see them coming up with like the most incredible things that you didn't even think about. Maybe that the clothes in your organization are not suitable for women or pregnant women, right? Or um, it was very interesting. I worked with an organization and they had like night shifts and there weren't any lamps. So the women, when they were walking in the night, they were very afraid when they were working night shift. So then they understood, okay, this is a barrier for women's security. And this Mm. is something they could never have understood if they didn't ask their employees, right? Mm. And then when you have mapped kind of like, what are the barriers that my team members are, like is important for them, then you can ask them, okay, what kind of measures can we do to uh, solve these barriers, let's say? And then what can I do as a leader and what can you do? Because often the responsibility is only on the leader, but it's very important that the employees also take their fair share of the responsibilities. And then mm. finally, I would like follow this work up after some months just to like see has things improved, what can we do better, and so on. So you spoke something to about uh, sort of cognitive biases or implicit biases, but you also spoke about microaggressions. For people who are not familiar with the term microaggressions, could you explore and expand on that term? Yeah, so discrimination, I would say, is like a more severe form of microaggressions. Microaggressions can like be that you um, talk in a bad way to someone. So it's not like discrimination, but you're still not treating them good. So it's like the small mm. acts that are not nice to do to people, but still uh, doesn't like qualify as discrimination. So it could be like gaslighting, tone of voice, mannerisms such as that, or maybe even talking down to them or a little more sarcasm than usual. Mm-hmm. And then maybe it also can be like in a meeting that always like the elder people get to talk or the men get to talk and not the younger uh, people or like the female. It can be like those small stuff. Yeah. What I'd like to do now is to sort of challenge. I think diversion and, and inclusivity are are noble forms. But I think like a lot of things, if it goes too far, it can create a downside that was not in, not expected. I mean, how do you navigate the potential for sort of tokenism, right? We'll just say, oh, okay, we need, for myself, I'm half Chinese. And so let's say it's a group of Caucasians says, okay, we need a half Chinese guy in here with his expertise. And I come in there. How do we avoid this tokenism? Mm, So first of all, I want to say like, in my opinion, if you look at the US, it's very like uh, black people, white people, Mm you know, like Chinese people, it's like very segregated in my way. 
So I think something that has gone wrong there is that we focus too much on the differences, right? But I think that in Norway, we focus too much on the similarities. So in Norway, we want to say, oh, everyone is the same. I don't see color. Kimia, I don't even see you being brown because I, I don't see it. You're the same. So I think to to stop us from going into a wrong direct direction is important to find that middle way between like everyone is the same and you're different because you're brown, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, it was done a study last year, which was uh, in Norway, which was called the um, correlation between ethnical diversity and economical growth. Mm-hmm. And what they found out is that it becomes like economical beneficial if you have inclusive leadership. And one aspect of that inclusive leadership was exactly, as I say, to find that middle way between both seeing the differences, but also acknowledging the similarities. So you don't become like that Chinese guy, but you become an equal part of the team, mm. if that makes sense. Yeah, because, you know, like, you know, I'm from Canada orig- originally, and and what we see sometimes is sort of a, or almost a reverse discrimination and that that creates animosity or at least an undercurrent of animosity between people and creating more division but then there's this political sensitivity no one wants to address it mm-hmm. and so to find a balance between mm-hmm. what you're speaking about i think it's not so easy and again i think everyone's intentions are noble but unintentionally things can go sideways mm-hmm. you spoke a little too about finding this balance but how does someone pragmatically and practically find a strike a balance between having diversity and inclusion and different skin tone colors or different genders and, and on a team. I mean, what are some of the practicalities we have to consider to fi- strike this balance? It's a tough uh, question. I, I know. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so my first reflection is that one important thing is language. I think language has such an enormous power and we don't think about it. I see a lot of people working with diversity and inclusion are like, oh, white men, they're such and such. And oh, Norwegian people, they're like that. You know, it's so much language used to like hate on the, let's say, majority. And I think if you address the diversity and inclusion work with like hate and with um, creating like segregation kind of, then that will uh, that will create a lot of tension. So Let's say just an example, when it comes to elder people, researchers have found that it's accepted to talk bad about elder people, right? You can say like, oh, old people, they're outdated. And no one will like say, it's not okay for you to say. And they do that. They they talk bad about elderly people because they want to lift up the young people. And for me, it's like, you don't need to talk bad about white men over 50 or elder people mm. to lift up either women or young people. So, so yeah, I, I think language is a very important part of it. I think that's a very astute point. It's, you know, we don't tear one group down to build up another because yeah. you, again, you, you're, you're, you're just, that's, that's a form of reverse discrimination. In this case, what you speak to is ageism, right? Yeah. Over yeah. the youth. And I would also uh, give another example. So when mm. this law came, uh, which uh, is now forcing boards to have 40% women. And then we have something called Arndalsuka in Norway, where all of the organizations and companies, politicians, everyone like come together mm-hmm. for one week. 
And then everyone... And Arendal is just a city in the south of Norway, just to clarify yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. So Arendal, so you guys like the week in that city. The week of Arendal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where you have the discussions. Yeah, sorry about that. Yes. Yeah, no worries. And then everyone that was going to talk about this law and why it's, it's good, they... Um, they were just talking very bad about men. They were like saying, mm. oh, in my opinion, all of the female board members I've seen, they're much more like competent. They do their work much better. And and I was just sitting there thinking like, oh my God, there are like mm. 50% men in the room and you're talking shit about all of mm. the men reports you've seen. Of course, these men will end up hating, you know, women and this mm. work. Like if someone would talk about how shitty they experienced multicultural people just to lift up, let's say, I don't know, gay people, I would hate them as well. So so, so this is like a huge dangerous thing that a lot of um, leaders, unfortunately, do with the best intentions. <laughs> with the best intentions. But I, I think it's just, uh, you know, people speak to opinions and a lot of the times they don't look at the facts as they're presented. And. That, I, that's why I think this is um, when you're talking about diversity and inclusion. I, it's 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 a minefield, and you have to be careful again with the language and the rhetoric we throw around. Because at the end of the day, you maybe just that seesaw. You might actually put any weight instead of finding that integration and balance. It makes things worse. And I think what you said it's very important. It's the the war on words, you know, mm. it. it that's why I think it's it's such a... That's why I wanted to get your opinion on this and invite you on the show. I've talked to some cultural experts from Singapore and different places, and this is going to be a part of that cluster of the... But and I, I think it's just so important because when people look to Norway, you do see um, forward thinking when it comes to gender or sexuality or what have you. Okay. And it is. I mean, it's naturally people are going to think, well, Norway or Sweden, they are naturally, you know... Ethnically, Norwegians are a certain race, and there is a minority, and it's to include this. So I think this is very important. So let me ask you this. One of the questions that I pose to cultural experts, and I'll pose it to you as a diversity and inclusion expert, is that how much does the majority have to actually bend to the minority? Or mm. how much does the minority actually have to step up to the majority? I love this question. So... Uh, and, and I love this because I think that when we talk about diversity and inclusion, we focus too little on what the minority's responsibilities are. Mm -hmm. Let's say, uh, for me, if you live in Norway, you have to learn Norwegian. And many people think maybe mm -hmm. that's controversial, but I'm like, it's not controversial to ask you to le learn the language in the country you're living in. Mm -hmm. So I would say that as a minority, you need to... Mm, let's say, learn the language if you're multicultural. You need to learn, like, um, what are the rules? Uh, how how should I behave? Uh, I've worked with organizations where, you know, you have leaders coming from another country and they are used to hierarchy, and then they will use that leadership style in Norway, and that will not work. So, mm -hmm. so I think, like, you need to adapt to the organization culture as a minority. And then I think uh, the organization's responsibility is to have fair processes and they need to see like, what are the must-haves and what, what are the good-to-haves? And, and they need to kind of let people be themselves to that extent where it doesn't interfere with your job. And let mm. me give you a concrete example. Please, please. So, 
Yeah. Uh, last year, there was this debate if people should talk. It's called kebab norsk. It means um, in English, like Norwegian in a, uh, I don't know. Do, do you know? Yeah, I know. I understand. It's like, it's like I used to work in inner city Chicago with gangs. Yeah. And so they, they'd have their own type of English per se, right? Yeah. But it would be filled with street slang and then and, and what, what have you. Yeah. So this was the question, like, can you speak Norwegian in that way? And many people that are working with diversity inclusion said, yeah, you, you must be yourself so you can speak the however you want. But for me, I was like, okay, if you work in a corporate law firm, mm -hmm. there are very strict rules on professionality and how you're going to talk with your clients, if you're going to land those clients. So no, if you're going to work in that kind of job, you need to adapt. But okay, let's say if you work in another sector, maybe you work in a kindergarten or whatever, where it's not so important, then you can speak that kind of Norwegian. So that's why I mean like, You cannot be your full whole self, self 100% of the time because you need to adapt to what's like critical to the organization for them to succeed with their task. Again, I think that's another astute point you've made, uh, Camille, because I think, you know, we all have cultural norms, you know, whether it's uh, ethnic or religious or the neighborhood we come from. But when we're moving into and let's 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 just to qualify this in a corporate professional environment then there are certain expectations that you have to step up for, right? And mm -hmm. so I think what is very important, and it sounds like you've spoken to this, is where we take cultural norms, right? Everyone's got their own cultural norms. But if we are going to work as a multifaceted organization or multicultural organizations, we're going to have to find our own team norms. We need to set these team norms. And it may be a certain level of language where you have to articulate yourself in a certain professional manner. Is that what I understand you're saying? Yeah. As you say, clear expectations is very important and that doesn't only benefit like the minorities. It can also uh, benefit the majority. Like what are the key expectations from you here? Mm -hmm. And besides that, you can do whatever you want. Another key example, I was working with people that are firemen and firewomen. It's mm -hmm. like, One key criteria there is that you always, when you're on duty, you have to be like awake and feel good. So that means if you're fasting during Ramadan and you that will make you tired, you cannot do that because your most important thing when you're on duty is to be awake. Mm. But that's also the case. You cannot on Christmas Eve, if you're on duty, eat so much that you cannot move. Or drink so much that you can't, right? Exactly. So clear expectations isn't like only for minorities. It can also benefit the majority. Yeah. And I think that if you create a standard, if you create norms of that team or that organization and we stick to it, then it's like it's like playing any sport. The rules are clear when you're out of bounds or you're in bounds or when you score or when you don't score. Mm. And I think clear expectations create certainty. And certainty yeah. means you have clearer communication. You understand what the situational awareness is. Yeah. And, but I will say like something for like the defense of leaders, because I'm a leader myself. And mm -hmm. I see that often like most of the work is for me as a leader to know what kind of expectations do I even have? Like sometimes it can go months after months thinking like, what are the most ex important expectations here? So I think, Many people like underestimate how difficult it can be to set those expectations. Mm. You know, you really need to have that inner reflection. You need to like put time aside to find those expectations. And I think you need to also, 
you know, adjust and change them as you go. And maybe it, it becomes easier for those who have many years of experience, probably. Yeah. And, you know, when you were talking about, you know, where people could sit down around a table and, and address some of the elephants in the room, mm. I think that is not so easy to do. It sounds easy when we're talking about it, but in practice, you need to establish a certain level of psychological safety and trust mm. because all of a sudden, you know, you can understand sometimes like it, where the majority of the population here is Caucasian and they mm. feel they can say something like, Sometimes people feel it's hard to say something because all of a sudden they'll be labeled as racist. Oh, you're you're the, you're the white person. You're saying yeah. this about us. That's so yeah. racist. When their intention is not to be racist, but it's just to be clarified to address the elephant in the room, so we can have a candid conversation to address an issue to find an issue. Yeah. And so, I mean, how? What do you do to encourage trust and psychological safety where we can reach such sensitive matters in order to create? better team norms so we can work as a team as most mm. effectively as possible. Mm. So I think that's one of the reasons people hire me as a consultant, because I really help to create mm. that psychological safety. And one of the things I do is, is just to say like, this is a safe space and I'm not here to judge anyone nothing you can say can hurt me. And everything that's said is like in the room and we must, remember that if we are not allowed to say our open minds and what we think about these thoughts will lead into actions which are which are which which are much worse so i really try to talk about the importance of being honest in the beginning and also another thing i i really believe can help is like where are you sitting to have that workshop i've seen such a huge difference between workshops we have in like casual places, maybe in a cafeteria and, you know, workshops that are in really stiff leadership rooms. So location also does matter. And, um, and, and yeah, I really think like having an external person to lead the session can be, uh, can be important. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, and, and if you don't have that, like I've been leader for many years, I, I think it's important to establish that safety and encourage feedbacks from the very beginning to establish that culture where people can speak up their mind. With your consultancy services to bring it back to you and your business, if people are interested in hiring you or hiring you and your company, what is a minimum efforts or minimum length of time they need to establish now i know this is very tailored depending upon the size of company but let's just say it's a a company of 50 people mainly ethnically norwegian but they want more diversity how what what kind of length of period of time are we looking at Uh, again it it depends on what they want to achieve. Like, do they want to build a strategy? Do they want to be compliant? Do they want to do like a leadership training? Mm. But it can be everything from like, I don't know, two hours to six months or one year. And how I work as a consultant is that I just give the company the tools and then I will just follow up them doing what we have planned to do. So I'm not the kind of consultant that go in and do the work myself. I will just say, this is the plan. This is what you should do and why you should do it. And then we will have like follow-ups. So yeah. And and I would just uh, like to say one more thing about uh, the psychological safety part. Like 
I think what's really important is that when people share perspectives that are racist, how you meet those perspectives are so important. I've been in a workshop where a leader just said to me, I can hire whoever, but I refuse to hire someone with a hijab. He was like, I refuse. And he said that like in front of the CEO in the organization. And I saw that everyone around the room was shocked, but I was really like, okay, why do you think so? You know, I was meeting him with like mm. love and respect and just, you know, yeah. having a nice conversation. And then at the end of the workshop, he said that he wanted to change his behavior and mm. start to like hire people with a hijab. But if I would meet him with like, oh my God, you old man, you're such a racist, you know, he would like <laughs> never change his mind. Yeah. So, so you really need to like detach yourself personally from the situation if you're going to lead that session well and make everyone feel like they're heard, even though their perspectives are like racist. And then you need to try to work, uh, work on it. You know, time and time again, you know, as, as you know, this, this, this podcast focuses on resilience and different ways it shows up mm. and uh, Camille and what you just said there is very relevant because you know, when I go in at working as a sparring partner, it's just what you said. A person needs to feel understood, heard, and respected, regardless. Mm -hmm. Because maybe he or she doesn't mean to come off as racist, but that's their language. That's how they speak. Mm -hmm. And sometimes what I ask, I never ask, why do you think that? If I want to get direct reason, I'll ask, what are the reasons? So I'm mm -hmm. looking for an explanation, not a justification. But another, sometimes I say, I'll sometimes ask them a, a story-based questions like, I'm curious, how did you come to that? Can you walk me through it? So they tell me a story of whatever, the hijab or whatever, right? About whatever their conundrum or challenge is. Mm. Then I can start understanding the sort of the breadcrumbs of what led them up to that conclusion, right? Mm. Mm. I think it comes back to a salient point you made where they feel heard and understood. And obviously you respected this gentleman. And what, you, what did you do? You didn't push him into the corner. No, mm. you you invite him into the center of the ring, mm. and you could you could explore together. And he was much more willing to change his way of thinking, right? Because all of a sudden, it sounded like what you did was shine some light on maybe mm. where he was, maybe ignorant or microaggressions or some sort of implicit bias he has had. Mm. Mm. Exactly. So it comes down to the quality of the conversation, and as you said, the language we choose. Yeah, and also I believe you need to be patient. Uh, for instance, I had this um, 14-year-old girl with me uh, on the like, work week, and she said that she was against um, gay people. And I think I spent like six hours of that week talking to her and asking her questions, why she felt that way and so on. And after those six hours and one week, she like finally said that, no, you're right. Everyone deserves like to be respected for who mm -hmm. they are. But I really had to spend six hours. So it's not an easy job. <laughs> no, but it, I, I think it's also I, I think also it's also to think about whether it's a minority or majority. There are just some people that are so so stuck in their thinking they're just so grounded in their opinions that their mm. convictions they think is law mm. whether it comes to gay rights or equality or whatever and yeah. sometimes I, I i don't like to say it but sometimes it's best to find someone else and just just 
leave it alone because it's not worth the investment because the the dividends mm. are not there. I mean, it's like trying to like get blood from a stone. I think sometimes. I think that's just what I, you have to call it sometimes. And it's best but, to sometimes understand that. Okay, some rocks can't be moved. You know, I spent ten years to make my mom accept gay people, and she finally did after ten years. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, but if you're working for an organization, I don't think it was gonna pay you ten years. But I get what you're saying. I completely yeah. understand what you're saying. But, but but again, I I agree. Maybe some people are are lost case, but and and I think I see anger in a lot of people that are working with diversity and inclusion. They're like filled with so much like anger, anger, and and I think that anger comes from like you try to turn those stones that that cannot be uh, be you know turned. But when you really manage to make that change after ten years or six hours. It really gives you like the courage to like, mm-hmm. you know, it's possible. <laughs> yeah, especially when you when you do one score, it changes your belief. It changes your yeah. expectations that okay, things can move forward. But it is sometimes trial and error. I mean, you need to find sometimes a, I think a bespoke approach, as you mm-hmm. said. You can't just have one template for all companies. You have to mm-hmm. understand what they're trying to achieve and their goals based on whatever. Exactly. Yeah, I'm very respectful of your time. Is there any last advice or suggestions you would like to leave with our listeners today? I want everyone that are asking themselves, like, why should I work with this? Think mm-hmm. about like, what kind of world do you want to live in? Do you want to live in a world where it's like a lot of division and hate between different groups, or do you want to live in a world where it's like? one united family you know and what's beautiful about that is that you know everyone is going to get old anyone can get a kid that has disabilities or is gay or whatever so Mm. all of us sooner or later will be a part of that you know diversity mention diversity dimension so you're really helping to create the world where like you and your loved ones can thrive in. And, and I think that's so much more important that than uh, diversity leads to innovation and economical growth. That, that really gives like much more of a personal motivation, in my opinion. Well, Camille, I think uh, what you said today and I think our discussion, though short, was in-depth and we, we, we explored a lot of topics so all I can suggest is keep up the good fight, keep up the good effort. I, I think we need more of this. And to those listeners out there, it's it's not an easy walk, but uh, you're only a phone call away if they need some help, right? Some, some support. Yeah. And just feel free to follow me on LinkedIn because I also do publish a lot of interesting things there about diversity and inclusion. Thank you very much for your time today, Camille. Thank you. Well, folks, as we wrap up this insightful conversation I had with Camilla, we've navigated the intricate landscape of diversity and inclusion in organizations. Camilla, a passionate advocate in this field, you can hear it in her voice, the vivaciousness. Well, she's brought to light the various challenges and potential pitfalls that organizations face. 
from discussing the repercussions of insufficient diversity to addressing risks of overemphasis of political correctness. We've covered a spectrum of crucial topics today. We've delved into the nuances of tokenisms. We've explored strategies for effective collaboration between majority and minority groups. And we've also discussed approaches for engaging with individuals resistant to change. You know, Camilla's expertise has illuminated the importance of a balanced and thoughtful approach to diversity and inclusion, highlighting its critical role in the evolving dynamics of our modern organizations. Her approach to implementing diversity and inclusion in organizations is comprehensive and dynamic. It begins with defining what these concepts mean specifically for an organization, ensuring a clear understanding and a tailored approach. The second step focuses on education, where barriers such as unconscious biases, discrimination, and microaggressions are addressed, and a platform is created for employees to share their experiences. Well, this leads to a third step, which is about fostering ownership across all levels of the organization. Here, she encourages asking critical questions about breaking down barriers and what roles leaders and employees can play. Now, the final step involves continuous reassessment. It's about understanding the improvements made and to identify areas for further development. This four-step process ensures a deep-rooted integration of diversity and inclusion within the organizational culture, leading to a more meaningful and sustainable outcomes. Well, folks, I hope you learned a lot from that conversation because I surely did. And a personal thank you to you, Camille, from me for taking the time to share your, your experience, your thoughts, your knowledge, and parts of the process that you walk organizations through. I highly encourage any leaders, managers, or organizations out there who are focused more than ever now on, on these topics of diversity and inclusion. Reach out. Reach out to Camilla. I will make sure all her contact information is in the show notes. And until we continue this conversation next week, keep well, keep strong, and we'll speak soon. 